Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dean. I'm enjoying the podcast right now while watching the waves on this beautiful, cloudy Santa Cruz afternoon. Something I'm super excited about is all the amazing work that MAPS is doing to support psychedelic research. I feel these medicines have incredible potential to help so many people and truly change the world we live in. So go MAPS, go Mushroom, and go Kyle. Keep it up, my dude. You. That was a message from one of our listeners. When Dean mentioned the acronym MAPS, he was talking about the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, which is based in Santa Cruz. And if you want to learn more about that, you can go back to episode number 57 with Dr. Jim Fadiman, titled Can Psychedelics Treat Depression? And if any of you have a voice memo that you want played at the beginning of this podcast, you can record it on your phone. Let me know who you are, where you're listening from, something you're working on these days or excited about, and you can email it to me. My email is kyle at kyle.surf. Try and keep it under 30 seconds and bonus points if it's funny. Before we get going, I wanted to thank Paul for donating on Patreon this week. Thank you, Paul. High five. Um, It is people like you who allow me to prioritize this podcast, drive all over California to get interviews with these interesting people. Um, And it really does make the difference. So thank you to Paul. Thank you to everyone else who supports this show on Patreon. I don't advertise on this show. Um, people learn about it because, because listeners share it. Um, so this is a a grassroots podcast and five bucks, 10 bucks a month, um, makes a big difference in allowing me to keep these shows coming at you week after week. If you don't have cash to support the show, absolutely no worries. I am an Amazon affiliate. So if you go to my website, kyle.surf slash book club, Um, you can check out all of my favorite reads. There's some very good ones that I added there just recently. And you can also use that portal to buy stuff on Amazon. And then I will get a small percentage of that purchase at no cost to you. So you can click that link. You can buy any of the books off of the page. Um, and it's a great partnership that I have with Amazon. Um, and it's a free way for you to support the show. Just this last, last month, someone bought an aqua lung seal mask through the Amazon portal. Someone bought some oral B dental floss through the portal on kyle.surf slash book club. Someone bought the book, which is one of the books on the book club titled the subtle art of not giving a fuck by Mark Manson. I highly recommend that one. So head over to kyle.surf slash book club and check out some of my favorite reads. My guest today is Captain Liz Clark. Liz has sailed the coasts of Mexico and Central America, explored the western islands of Panama and the Galapagos, made several loops around the islands of French Polynesia, and spent time exploring the eastern islands of Kiribati. Surfing Magazine named Liz one of the five world's most committed surfers. And now, more than 10 years and 20,000 miles later, she's still out there. Liz is a badass. I've known about her for a very long time, but it was just this evening, the other week, that we had a chance to sit down over a few tequila, lime, and sodas 
and have a good conversation. She is a wonderful human, and I am happy to know her. She just came out with a book, Swell, and she's now doing a book tour. So if you are in Honolulu, March 28th, Haleiwa, March 29th, she'll be doing a book tour there. Then in April, she's in Cardiff on the 2nd, Dana Point the 3rd, um, Seal Beach the 4th. She's all over the place. So go check out uh, her new book and meet her in person and say, hey, I loved hearing you on the podcast. That was such a funny one. So without further ado, please welcome to the show... Captain Liz Clark. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. While I was writing my book, that was that was definitely like part of the process. All of a sudden, you have to like really decide how you're gonna, you know, present that memory to the world, or um, you know, what really happened. Like, there's so many ways to think about what what actually those memories are, and. Um, you know, a lot of times too, you're remembering the memory of the last time you told the story. So true, <laughs> so true. And with the blog, it's funny because like half the time, I was, you know, talking about what was going on the surface, but what was really going on underneath was a lot of this other stuff that like I didn't really present to the public. So, um, you know, while I was writing the book, I really wanted to bring out the more like authentic story of what happened on my voyage and. Um, it was fun to like look at those blogs and and they triggered memories of what was really going on too at the same time. So, right. Um, so yeah. Do you keep a journal? Um, I haven't. I, I I religiously kept a journal from the time I was probably fifteen to maybe a couple years before I started writing the book, and then um, was it a morning journal? No, I'm not a morning person. Mm. I wish I was, but um, maybe in my next life. <laughs> um, I, it was more of an evening journal, and um, not every day and not every evening. Sometimes it was midday or whatever, but um, I'm not very good with routine. But I especially wrote when something was like really affected me or I had a really awesome experience, but I, d- I did keep it journal religiously on the voyage yeah and then when you so then you started a blog what was the blog called the voyage of swell swellvoyage.com and you how often would you upload to that while you were on your trip well i was on the trip it started out to be every month every month and what when where was the trip where were you coming from where were we going to what was the goal i left from santa barbara and was sailing south I sailed down through Baja and Mexico, um, all the way through Central America down to Panama. And, um, the goal was at that point, like really focused around surfing. I was just 
a crazy surf addict and loved the idea of being able to get to places where um, I wouldn't have to compete with the guys for waves. And I felt like it was so much easier to improve my skills when I was in these places where there was just nobody around and I could pick whatever I wanted. Supply and demand, baby. Yeah, get, yeah, get the yeah. supply in order and you're going to start improving real quickly. Yeah, so... Um, definitely went out with that as my main focus. And, um, I was, I, def I was an environmentalist at heart already during that time, but I was, I was pretty selfish and I was still just pretty driven by, um, wanting to get good waves and wanting to, I needed like, I needed to work on myself at that point. Um, I got the idea of service, but at that point I just was like, I had so many things in myself that I needed to work on that I I couldn't really think about like dedicating my journey to like a bigger cause than myself at that point. If yeah, that makes sense. Totally. And I, I don't think that the two are um, exclusive. Like you can work on yourself and work on the world. And I see people who the pendulum swings one, f like too far in one direction mm -hmm. or the other. Sure. Like, because it's a mutual journey. Like external, anyway. external activists who really just want to prove to their father that they're worthy of love, you know, or then they're just like, oh, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to yeah. fix it all. Yeah. You know, sure. and then there are people who, you know, are just, you can pay me and charge crystals and you know, <laughs> <laughs> for my whole life, I'm in internal work yes. and fine. Yeah. So there's this balance and yeah. there's at different times in our life, the pendulum swings one way or, or the, the other. other. Yeah. Yeah. And as long as you're not really fucking shit up, I think that it's, totally cool to take some indulgence and like i want to go get barreled yeah on a sailing trip i wanted to prove to myself first of all that i could do it because i could be the captain and i could you know actually pull this trip off so were you were you uh traveling with anyone or were you solo the first year and a half i was traveling with friends so the first four or five months, I had a girlfriend with me the whole time and a couple of friends here and there. And so it was kind of like a dynamic crew, always changing for that first year and a half. And it was super fun. Um, just I met so many cool people. And um, did you know how to sail before then or was that a learning experience going on the voyage? Well, I grew up on sailboats for sure. And we did do that a trip to Mexico as a family um, for about nine months when I was nine years old and um during that trip so I so I understood the idea of cruising and even when um as growing up we did a lot of like weekend sailing and stuff but most of our trips were like getting to a destination and the winds here in Southern California just you, you get the sail up and then all of a sudden the wind dies and then you just turn the motor on and dad just wants to get us all the kids are like when are we getting there are we there yet it sounds so, a lot like surfing in southern california it's like there was a swell for <laughs> three hours yeah. it was pumping i swear yeah, exactly so yeah I, a lot of um the time i spent on sail was we were motoring so i didn't um really learn to sail my own boat until i got out there um with swell and and really when I got to the trade winds is when I really learned how to like sail the boat properly. Where did the trade winds start? Um, the trade winds started when I left from Panama city to Galapagos and then headed west towards the South Pacific. We got food, uh, food service. We're uh, recording in the dream Inn in Santa Cruz, California right yeah. now. And we got some food coming. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so the trade winds start in Panama. Well, and it d- actually d- start like south of the Galapagos. Okay. Um, I'm sure you have a, a, a unique understanding of the trade winds that most people don't have. Would you mind just breaking that down for people? Sure. Where they start, where they go. Yeah. So. Um, Why they're important. So the trade winds are, um, they start about. 10 degrees, 10 to 15 degrees north and south of the equator, uh, a little more in certain places. Um, They are caused by the convergence of the horse latitudes, um, airs... (laughs) I'm going to forget. That's okay. But, um, okay, let me think about this. The trade winds come up and then they collide... So, because of the Coriolis effect spin of, the, of earth. the spin of the Earth, um, the air around the equator is moving to the west. And so, where all these winds collide from the air that goes up in the horse latitudes and comes down, it needs somewhere to go, and it's moving, it's colliding. So, there's the northeast trades above the equator and the southeast trades below the equator, and um, where they collide in the middle is the doldrums. So um, you've got this span of wind moving across the globe from east to west across the Pacific. It's like a big belt of wind. You can jump in and just charge across the entire Pacific Ocean um, all the way over to Indo pretty much. And that's where the the term the trade winds come from because that's where all the the trade routes routes would would come and go from. Correct. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, as a surfer, I have a certain understanding of the trade winds, Mm -hmm. but as a sailor, you get into this whole other relationship with with wind and water that surfers don't normally get. Yeah, um, the trade winds, I I had no idea that they, I mean, being from Southern California, you get these afternoon winds that blow for a few hours and die, and you just have these like convective swirls through Central America that were just like you get a little breeze and then nothing and and so then to when I actually did find the trade winds south of Galapagos uh it was it was pretty impressive that like it just kept blowing I didn't have to touch the sails for like 15 days I was just it was a totally different experience than I'd ever been around before so you went from so you took off from Santa Barbara on this first trip yeah down to Panama where from there um Panama to the Galapagos I picked up my mom she decided to sail across the Pacific with me and um we sailed to the Marquesas Islands it took us 22 days just you two just the two of us wow yeah what a cool experience it was really cool because she we're really different and she um she supported my trip. She knew that I was really happy doing what I was doing and she just wanted me to be happy, but she didn't quite understand like why the hell I was so driven to get on a sailboat and, you know, sail all these crazy places. So it was really great for us to have that time together because I was such like a driven teenager and I, I was busy. And then when I fell into surfing, like all I wanted to do was surf and, um, I just didn't spend that much time with her really and our our interests were so different and um 
And so to have like 22 days trapped on a boat together was so cool because I really like actually learned about my mom for the first time. I was 26 and I had never sat down to like really understand her story and who she was as a person instead of like my mom, you know? Yeah. So, um, that was like something so special that came out of this trip that, um, you know, t- just till this day, we are really, really close. It's like podcasting. It gives you an excuse to sit yes. down with someone for a long period of no time and get through those layers. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Were there any like moments on the trip that you remember from that? That Oh my gosh. Yeah. She's so funny. My mom's classic. I love her so much. She, um, we got in a, a it wasn't really a, big storm but we had big swell from from a storm that was brewing off Peru and um so we had big swell and I had to change the course of of the boat to kind of take it right on the stern but it was really uncomfortable and this was only about like maybe six days into our trip why is it uncomfortable because like imagine that the entire room was like having a 10.0 earthquake for the next five days like (laughs) you're trying to like cook your food and go to the bathroom and you're just lucky if you try to even brush your teeth you're courageous like it's really just your whole world is in motion all the time and um during that trip like it was even it was new for me you know like waves are breaking across down the side of the hole and you're sleeping with like one inch of fiberglass between you and the waves and you know, you just have to have so much faith in your boat. And, um, so it's a remarkably vulnerable experience. It was really vulnerable. And the fact that she had decided to come with me, she doesn't even really like sailing. Like literally she would take the ferry to Catalina in the summers, which was like only a day trip. And so for her, she'd really stepped out of her comfort zone to be out there with me. And then, um, anyway, during that trip, I remember her saying one time, this is where they should have sent Paris Hilton. It was like right when she was going to jail for something. And yeah, she's, she was so funny. She was wanting to be airlifted out and, uh, but she stuck through it. And, um, luckily she doesn't get seasick at all. So, uh, she was fine. She did crossword puzzles, but she refused to go outside for like five days. Cause the waves were so scary. Like you just to look at, she, it was really intimidating. These big swells coming up behind us. So yeah, there's that fear that you're going to go out to, I mean, I guess as as a woman, it's not the same, but as a guy, I always have this fear when I'm on a boat in big seas that I'm going to take a piss off the side and I'm going to fall in. Yeah, it's and really dangerous. And the boat's going to go away without me and I'm going to scream, hey, hey. No one's going to hear you. The distance. Yeah. yeah. I took a trip to the Mentawise once and a couple months before that situation had happened with a guy he went out on that crossing, took a piss off the side of the boat, fell in. No one heard him. So and he crazy. was bobbing for something like th- like three days before they found him. And they him. found him, right? Yeah, they found I him. I heard that story. And he finished his fucking Mentwai oh, trip. So radical. What a legend. He's like, I don't even to catch shit. a wave at least. Let's go get barreled. <laughs> <laughs> so gnarly. Uh, yeah. So, wow, what a cool experience with your mom. Yeah, that was a really wonderful thing that came out of this. You, yeah, like you, you start to see the person as a person, not just as the figure that you've, that you've identified them as your whole life. Yes. 
you know? I find that, like, parents, like, I'm experiencing this right now. Like, I'm the youngest of five. Wow. And uh, my mom's done being a mom. She was a great mom. And now I'm the youngest. I'm grown up. And she's like... I kind of did what I'm doing and I'm, my identity isn't mom anymore. Right. I'm going to Egypt. I love it. I love it. Which is great when you can, as a parent, get out of that identity mm-hmm. and just be a person. And it's really I, we, hard for always, moms, I think. Yeah, we've always had, I, my mom and I have always had a good relationship. Mm-hmm. But for me to see her like fucking going for it, traveling as much as I am now, yeah. is inspiring because I see so I see her as a person and not just my mom. Yep. Yeah. Which is important to do. It's really important. Really important to get to that place. I think it's something that helps you get through those, you know, you always have certain gripes about your childhood and um, to be able to see those your parents as people like it really helps you to kind of get get over those things that that might be holding you back still from your 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 youth yeah yeah i mean we all have family baggage yeah i don't care i don't care who you are everybody so to be able to grow up and uh for me like the coolest thing that i'm seeing from my mom traveling so much and seeing the world is that um i've come to the realization i like this person just as a person that's so wonderful what a cool mom yeah amazing yeah and 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 how what a bummer that so many people don't ever their 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 identity is so ossified that they can't move Move on from that thing yeah i'm kind of at that place in my life right now and it's pretty it's a pretty scary thing how so well i've been living and you know, sailing and doing my, um, trip for the last 12 years. And I'm at this point where I'm ready for something different, but my whole identity is wrapped up in Captain Liz Clark, you know, and, um, you got a lot of Instagram followers. Yeah. So, um, Devout fans, well, most of them are fans of my cat, but, um, <laughs> my girlfriend is, my yeah. girlfriend was like, are you, are you doing a podcast with Liz? We'd be friends. I'm a cat person. She's a cat person. Yeah. I had no idea what was, what a cat was going to do to help me spread my environmental message. No clue. Trojan horse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So I'm kind of just like feeling out this new time where, you know, I've, I've written this book. It's like sitting on this table next to us. It's like, everything I just did for the last 12 years is like there. And now I'm, I I can do something else now. And I, I'm like just at this stage where I'm still developing my dream, my next dream. You know, I have some certain things that I know I want to do, but, um, how I'm going to do them, I haven't quite figured out. And so, so yeah, it's, it's, I'm really inspired to hear that your mom was able to, you know, move into this next phase of her life and, you know, just, be able to say okay kids that's enough i did my job good luck and uh, enough halloween costumes yeah 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 so um what's the conflict is it the unknown for you like just that it's you're starting something totally new and it's a blank slate like where where is the discomfort um that's a good question i think the discomfort is, you know, it's, it's funny because like 
after 12 years of doing something, even though it's so unique and different from whatever everyone else does, this has become my world. This has become my life. And, um, things like coming today to talk at the keynote as a keynote speaker at this conference are really out of my comfort zone. So, um, so yeah, I guess, um, the unknown of deciding like, what's my next adventure? What, um, where do I want to be? Because this, you know, I've lived on a floating object that's been like movable around the Pacific for the last 12 years. So, um, I don't really have a home base here in California. My family doesn't either. Um, even though I grew up here and I have a ton of friends here, I don't really like have anywhere to come back to on land that feels like home anymore. So um, I I think at this point, like having lived so long on the water, I'm ready for to to have a land base and to try that out a little bit or at least have some of the comforts because at this point I'm kind of like, I'm almost like frustrated that I can't be more efficient um, at being an environmental activist because the limitations of living on a boat make it such that like a lot of my time is consumed by the maintenance and um, just regular everyday life things that take longer. In it's that like having situation. to work on your house every day. Yes. <laughs> like- Try writing a book. <laughs> With this tiny space. Yeah, it's just... So, so you, you wrote the book on the boat? I wrote the book on the boat. Wow. Well... Teetering up and down. What's that yeah. next thought? Yeah. Oh, shit, the wind just switched. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I have to move bays. There's a storm coming. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that makes sense that there's, there's a kind of newness and unknown and... Um, and it's hard to get shit done on the road. I love traveling, but I get most of my real work done when I'm at a home base and I I develop that routine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I'm craving a bit of that. Cool. Mm -hmm. Um, so on, uh, back on that first trip. So with your mom, so you went out to the Galapagos Mm -hmm. and then you just went from there to 12 years later. Oh yeah. You st- I mean, we don't need to go in a linear, linear fashion here, but that's fascinating. Like, what kept you? So, where did you end up on that on that trip? So we ended up in the Marquesas Islands, which is like the northeasternmost archipelago of French Polynesia. And um, after that, I was, I was kind of ready to try to sail on my own. It never was a goal of mine originally, but. Um, after having like, um, back to back friends and crew for that whole first, um, almost two years, I just got to this place where I was ready to just have some alone time and, and give it a try. I'd kind of built my confidence up and I just, it was something I knew that I had to give it a shot, you know, test yourself. Yeah. And so when mom went home, I, um, I set off from the Marquesas Islands down through the archipelago to the south, the Tuamotu Islands. And um, I had some crazy adventures down there. Wow. Found some, yeah, beautiful places and everything was new to me. Like never been through a pass with my boat. This is solo. This is solo, yeah. So you dropped your mom off and then... And then I went on solo. Do you have a name for your boat? Swell. Swell. Oh, that's the name of the book. Yeah. Oh, I get it. That's yeah. Deep. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Swell. When did you name the boat? Was there a moment? Mm, yep. Vomiting off the side of it? Uh, <laughs> uh, is this swell? Wow. Um, no. I was... Um, it was back in Santa Barbara when I was still rebuilding the boat with my mentor who helped me acquire the boat, who gave me his boat practically. And um, the boat was at the time called Elicio, which means trade winds in Spanish. And uh, But the, the name of the boat had been changed like four or five times, and I didn't know what the original name of the boat was was at the time. Um, and so I was setting out on this trip, and I thought, you know, I want to, I want to give it my own name. This is, this is, it's been totally, we redid everything on it and okay, this is going to be mine. And, um, I'd always, uh, been inspired by the voyage of Joshua Slocum, who, um, was the first person to sail around the world alone that we know of. Um, and his boat was named Spray. And, um, I thought of all these different names of like different, in different languages or in different um, historical references. And I don't know, at some point I, when swell hit me, it was like, it means happiness. It means growth and it means waves. <laughs> and so it kind of just fit me all together. These three things that I was looking for. And so, um, yeah, when I presented the idea to Barry, my mentor, he, he liked it. And so we went with it. And, um, Going through a pass alone, like the thing that's that I like about what you're pulling off here is that there are so many moments where you can't fake it. Totally, there's so many moments where you're you like, might lose I, it all. Yeah, in like, one, you, yeah, one second. Like, either I got it or I don't. Oh yeah. There's no posturing of like, hey, what do you do? Oh well, I'm a producer. Yeah, yeah. Produced many films, Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah, he's a good friend of mine. Yeah, I can yeah. call him up right now on speed dial if you like me to. I won't do it right now, but um, he'd pick up. <laughs> when you're on a boat, it's like, yeah. no, it's just you and the storm. Yeah. And you better know how to tie the right knot. Exactly. And I had a lot riding on it because like Barry had not only given me his boat, but he'd him and my father had invested a lot of money into making it safe for me to go. And I don't know, there's something that I had to prove to people too, as a woman, like I was just like, I'm going to pull this shit off. And I'm, I was so scared to fail, but like I stayed on top of my shit and I, I made sure, I mean, I definitely had some angels watching over me, but, um, but yeah, there was just constantly moments like that where you're completely alive with all your senses, just trying to like make sure you survive it and get to a safe, get to safety, you know? Like what? Well, every time you pull up the anchor, you're, you're, so you say passages. Like what is yeah. it? Well, like I, I'm, okay. I'm that naive. Okay. So what, like, why is a passage a big deal? So Basically, a passage is like anytime your boat is in motion. So you pull up the anchor or you leave the dock and you generally have a destination of some point. And as a captain, you're really um, from the moment you let go of the lines or lift up the anchor, you are, you know, your your job is to get that boat from one point to the next. And so doing that is considered a passage. So once you, and you never like claim a passage before you 
get the anchor down, get it set, and you're really like out of place because something about sailing that you, there's a lot of superstition and a lot of like you, there's so much on the line and there's so many things that can go wrong that um, you really have to like just have faith in yourself and like not get too big for your britches because that's when things go wrong is when you like make assumptions that everything's going to be okay or you just like cut corners and don't tie something down on the front of the boat because you think it's going to be a, the weather's going to be great and and all those times I, I made those little mistakes and luckily the ocean was super forgiving I, I made mistakes in those first few years that could have been really bad and if it was the wrong situation but um I, I learned from them and then you know made sure I never did it again and um I safely kept going. That's lucky. So you went Galapagos, Marquesas. Then is there a spot that you were set up for a number of years? Like what was the so, process from there? You had okay. you had your boat. And, so, I mean, just take, yeah. take me through it. We got, Sorry. We got it's time. It's kind of long though. I know. I know. It's like 300 something pages. Like, <laughs> how long do you have? <laughs> That's the nice thing about a podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, you can, you can give me the the cliff notes here, okay. but that's, I mean, it's just, shit's fascinating to me because so everyone says, you know, one day I'm going to quit my job, Sail buy a sailboat, the horizon. sunset, yes. um, but most people don't do it because there's way too many knots involved. Literally. And, and I want to get room service. <laughs> no room service in the middle there's of the ocean. Sure as hell no room service. Yeah. So, so yeah, at the point, um, when I started sailing alone, this was just kind of like all a moment where I was ready to kind of slow down. I'd been on this journey, um, with friends and every time you set a schedule with someone to fly into a certain place and meet you here, and then they're going to fly out there. Like you, you commit yourself to this time period of destination, et cetera, et cetera. So at that point, I was like pretty exhausted from um, dealing with all the schedules and sailing is something that like it really like surfing. It just doesn't fit into a schedule like you, the more you're on a schedule, the more risks you're going to take, the more the harder it's going to be. Yeah, babe, I'm going to try to make it to your sister's wedding. It's, I'm going to really do my best. But if, if South Swell and Puerto comes up, I just... You know, I can't control the weather, babe. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes, exactly. It's you're yeah. being an asshole a lot. But, you know, it's just for certain times of your life, if that's your priorities, then, um, yeah. That's the way to do it. That's the way it is. Um, so, yeah, at that point, I was just, like, trying to slow down and be able to move a little bit more organically. Yeah. And um, when did uh, Patagonia get involved? So... Um, at that time, Patagonia, well, Patagonia actually got involved way at the beginning. Um, there was a little article in the newspaper in Santa Barbara uh, that came out about my voyage right as I was leaving. And one of the employees at, at Patagonia read the article. And I think she worked in the department where they were just starting Water Girl, which was their kind of surf. They didn't really have a surf section at that at that time. So uh, anyway, they reached out to me and, and offered me um, t that they want, told me they wanted to support me a little bit. And so 
so they were there from the beginning, but it was not really a time where ambassadorship and like representing a brand was worth a lot. And, um, especially as a woman and doing what I did was like something so just like off the page. So, um, so yeah, it took a long time for me to like figure out how to financially support myself because what they were giving me was definitely not enough to like keep this whole thing going. So, but interestingly enough, like around that same time, um, I had like that first year I worked so hard to try to get some like media coverage about what I was doing because I knew that like writing was my strength and I could make a little money off of like writing for magazines and doing, um, you know, maybe get a little sponsorships. Yeah. You're getting into spots that most people don't get to experience. Why not write about it? It was like a unique experience. And so, yeah, I sold a bunch of articles to different magazines. Like I was on the front of national geographic adventure and like, for me, what I thought, um, I felt like a really successful, um, first year in terms of like trying to garnish sponsorship and more support for the trip. Um, and at that time it's funny because, um, Yvonne Chouinard had just decided to like that marketing was, they were no longer going to do marketing, no more funding. This is sorry, but I, you know, we've decided to go a different direction and so Yvonne's such a gangster. I was like, I love it. He's like, we're not going to do marketing. We're just going to support <laughs> conservation. Shit'll work Probably out. Like, but I totally reevaluated when I got that news because I, I realized that I was making all these decisions about like moving quickly from place to place, like Mexico. I could have spent a whole nother season in in Oaxaca, you know. And I was moving fast to place to place to different destinations because I kind of felt like I needed to keep all the material fresh and keep people interested. And, and so at that point when like I lost my funding, I was just like, screw it. What do I want to do? You know, like what I'm out here for me. I've done all this work to get here. And like, I just want to slow down and take my time and really get to know these places. And I don't want to go across the Pacific in one season, like all the other boats do. Like there's thousands of islands out here and I want to take my time. So at that point, I decided to go north for cyclone season instead of going west, which I could get to a place that was safe from cyclones. Um, and because you only get a three-month visa for French Polynesia, so um, I had to get out of there fairly quickly. And um, But I decided like I, I hadn't seen it all. I wanted to come back after the cyclone season was over and spend some more time in that region. So I sailed... 1500 miles north took me eight days to get there and I sailed to a archipelago in Kiribati and I spent an entire like four and a half months up there and it's literally like there's no country that supports or funds them from the outside there it was like going back in time they were living in sustenance um, houses that were built out of anything they could find on the islands. And, um, so it was a really eye-opening experience for me. French Polynesia is a bit in between because they have the support from France and uh, a lot of like infrastructure and medical and, but this was like something I'd never experienced before. So why do you think you took this trip initially? Um, well, I mean, I was, there's a lot of reasons. Like I was, 
I was really looking for the ant, the bigger questions about life. You know, I, I had, um, I wasn't satisfied with the way we were living as a Western society. I didn't think it was, um, the end all. And I wanted to go out and see, experience other cultures and see what else, um, if there was a better way to live. And I also was, it was like the time when George W got reelected and I was just like feeling so that we were off course and I didn't really want to like participate in that anymore. So the boat trip was kind of like a way for me to just like go do my own thing and, um, live closer to nature and kind of like have these different experiences that I wasn't accessing in a modern life. Um, it's that answer it, your question? Yeah, it's interesting to hear how it seemed like the trip took place initially from a very internal place. And then there was a point where you were getting a lot of media and public praise for the trip initially, mm-hmm. which then forced you to... Um, have the desire to go from place to place to place to place to get new media and keep it fresh, yeah. keep it good. Yeah. But then because of that setback at a certain point, it took you back into kind of more of an internal voyage. It did. It did. Which is cool. I like, uh, you know, I, I think that we can oscillate back and forth between why we're really doing things mm-hmm. you know and, and at different times like yeah you need to be media savvy and as well as pragmatic about mm-hmm. like making shit work and making ends meet uh yeah. and that forces you to be in a certain spot at a certain time um and there's nothing wrong with that right. as long as you maintain that sense of self internally and um sometimes events that can knock you on your ass force you to look inwards mm-hmm. right? and yeah. ask, ask those big questions about like, wait, what do I really want to do? Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, I want to hang out longer. Yeah. I want to spend time with these cultures. I want to, or with these people. I want to, I want to mm-hmm. learn about the culture. I mm-hmm. want to experience more deeply the places that I go. Yes. Yeah. So there was a point when you, when that happened and what, what was the culture that you said you, you'd, uh, spent with or the, the people who you spent um, time with the Kiribati people yeah. Republic of Kiribati yeah what was that like it was radical radical yeah for me it was I'd never um really s- seen a culture living off of the land almost wholly they got boats in maybe like once every four months and it was literally just like flour and sugar and um you know, the basics of basics. And so it just kind of like turned my whole world upside down about what, um, about material things, about, um, just what we need to survive and about how really in a lot, in one way I was so fortunate as a woman because the women that I met in that place were um, so limited, they couldn't swim because of like cultural, uh, they they were not supposed to swim. Women weren't supposed to go in boats. So there was all these limitations that I saw and, um, I realized, wow, I'm so lucky to have come. You know, I had all these kind of like pessimistic ideas about America when I left and, and I all of a sudden realized like the only reason I was able to be doing what I was doing was because I was from a place like, where we like are. the U.S., yeah. yeah, it's it's sad to see 
I mean, that we have a long way to go we when, do. It, when it comes to gender equality in mm. the U.S. And it's fucking horrifying to me to know the fact that there are still nine countries in the world where women can be killed for infidelity. That's like, insane. it's fucking yeah. unreal. Yeah. That, like, all right, you were born a woman. Mm. I was born a man. Like, that could have easily just switched. And our reality mm. is going to be dramatically different in these different spaces around the world. It's going to yeah. be less dramatic in certain spaces. Right. But you go to some spots and... You're not allowed to show your. You're not allowed to show certain parts of your body. Right. You're not allowed to drive a car. Right. Like, whoa, that's strange. So, we live in 2018. So heavy and so bizarre, and so incredible that, um, you know, we haven't come farther. And it seems like those places, particularly like the places where the patriarch is still just like holding on so tightly, you know, they're really afraid of women's power. And, um, but I, I do think that deep down women still know they have that power. So even when we are very oppressed, um, like I feel like there's still something about being a woman that's wonderful and magical and yeah yeah the sacred feminine there's yes. something real to the the power of women the yep. the pain that you can endure during childbirth woo wee i scrape my knee i start crying <laughs> i mean it's there is um i think that a lot of it has to do with our relationships with our mothers Honestly, I think that a huge amount of our personalities are determined early on and are, and as a man, like I have two I have two big sisters, I have a good mom, like mm-hmm. and I th- think about all a lot of those situations that I had with women when I was younger where like I got to see them as just themselves, people. Right. But if you, but if I were to grow up with, you know, a mom that was absent and no sisters, mm-hmm. my relationship to women in a large sense would be like on dates, you know, mm-hmm. when we're like putting on a facade and I'm like, oh, right. I'm a great guy and I'm yeah. trying to have sex with you, but yeah. I'm going to let you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, yeah. and as a result, I think that that can um, create a lot of really unhealthy beliefs about it's just make it makes the whole situation unhealthy and our beliefs Definitely. are all we have they're all we will ever have um mm-hmm. and they influence society immensely yeah yeah we we're lucky to be able to i mean guys like you who grow up with g- great women in their life um you know i think have that respect and instilling that in, in other men is, is difficult. And, um, you know, I've run up against it a lot in this trip. There's often times where, um, just because I do what I do, men instantly don't like me. I don't know if, because it like brings up, like it threatens their masculinity because I'm doing a really like masculine dominated thing. I'm not sure, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it would be nice to have 
support from from those kinds of men. Well, I think you see it all like on social media and stuff. Like people are like, "Fuck yeah, you you you're doing it." You're like, you really t- you took that next step. You there was a moment where you looked yourself in the mirror and you're like, "Yeah, I'm gonna take this passage. I'm gonna go for it." Yeah. Um, but a lot of times we're a product of our influences, and if everyone in our life says like, "That's a silly dream. Why are you gonna go do? Why are you? You're, like, what? you're not gonna make that happen." And in the inverse, you're going like, fi- to find excuses not to do it. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. My, my father was, I, I had no idea that like I I was limited as a woman because my dad was so good about just like making things between my brother and I super inclusive. Like when we were on that boat trip, I was right in there passing him the tools and he never made a distinction between like girls are supposed to do this and boys are supposed to do this. That was just not on my radar. So when I like set out to do this, I didn't even really think about, oh, this is so, um, you know, I'm a woman and this is like so impressive for me to be doing. Like it wasn't even really part of my thought. I just knew that I could do anything that anybody else could do. So, um, so I'm a hundred percent a believer and on the, on the opposite side, like to empower women more, we need dads that really like love their girl enough to say like you can do whatever you want you know so um so yeah yeah was so you think that a lot a large part of your ability to pull the trigger on this trip was your parents was your dad yeah definitely 100 percent. he was like so behind me and he was whatever i was feeling like i mean a few days before the trip I think he even told me, like, you don't have to go if you don't want to. And this is after, like, three years of dedicating my entire life and a lot of resources to, like, getting ready for this trip, you know. And he always was just like, listen to your heart. You don't have to do this. Every time I called crying from some port where something was gone wrong and he was just like, honey, you don't, you don't have to keep going if you don't want to, you know. And um, But he's always always told me, like, I know you can do it. If you want to, I know you can do it. And... So that was like, that was so empowering to have that cushion where I felt like even if I decided to walk away from this, he was still going to love me and accept me. And, um, you know, he just want, wants me to be happy. And so that support is really like, you can't put a value to, on that. Feeling loved. We all want to feel loved. Yeah. And so often we make really poor decisions in life based off of ultimately wanting the love of our parents and and we sacrifice our ethics and we try and prove to the world and i'm gonna prove to my dad that i was i'm someone Mm. and like i think that a lot of people spend way too much time in this kind of adversarial relationship with life and it'll it forces them to to sacrifice a lot of Enjoyment, and then they get to the top, and maybe they do become successful multimillionaires, and get to the top of the mountain, look around, and they don't like what they see. Yeah, or it's not with the view that they thought they were going to have. You know, yeah. yeah, it really is. Jim Jim Carrey has this great line where he says, "I wish everyone could get rich and famous so they could learn that it's not the answer." Right, right. And I I I experienced that a little in my like micro scale of of that on my trip was like you know, 
part of me really had something to prove to the world that I could do this. And I thought like, oh, getting my name in a surf magazine, that's going to be so cool. <laughs> I'm going to make and, it. Yeah. I'm <laughs> going to be a star. And um, yeah, I think at some point I realized like this is not what makes you happy. This is not what makes you love yourself. This is like a whole different journey that you have to take within yourself to, um, you know, to, to reach those places. So you feel like you learned that on the journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was there a certain point? Um, yeah, I think, um, well, I, I battled depression kind of in small doses throughout my teens and, there was like a lot of times where I just felt hopeless about the world and about life. And, um, so I had these like really volatile kind of like emotional swings where, um, either everything was super happy and great and, or, you know, when something went wrong, like I could easily slip off into these like deep negative thoughts and, and really get down on myself and, and the world. And so, um, I think like after having a lot of media coverage about what I was doing and then at one point like slipping into one of these like moments where I just couldn't find the light again, like showed me that, you know, like none of this stuff matters to me finding my balance and my happiness. And so, and I really, at that point, like my voyage became about seeking my inner peace, you know? And, um, and so that happened in Kiribati. Uh, I ended up like, it's a long story, but, um, you can read about it all in the book, but, um, I met this really interesting woman who, um, I had some difficult things going on at the moment and she kind of gave me another way to look at them and said like, your adversity can be your opportunity and, um, difficult people can be a way to practice your, your virtues. And at that point, like those were words I really needed to hear. And, um, all of a sudden, like I was able to use difficult things instead of like getting down and feeling, um, like my world was ending because something difficult happened or didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. Um, I had this other way to look at it and it's not, it's an opportunity for growth, opportunity for growth, right? An opportunity to practice. And that, um, just really like empowered me to keep going on this trip that like all the time things are happening that are hard and that you're not, you don't know are coming. And it's just, it was really easy to get exhausted and get down and just, you know, kind of want to quit. And, um, when she kind of, I was already looking for the answers to happiness and like what we're doing here, what our purpose is. And when she kind of made it that, um, hardships could be like this Avenue to enlightenment, all of a sudden, like I under, I, they had a purpose and okay, I can accept this and let's just see how I can turn this into something positive. And so, um, so that was a big turning point for me because the voyage was really challenging on so many levels. And, um, if I hadn't had that like kind of new way to look at it, it would have been harder. You ever ha like, 
You ever have uh, issues with feeling like you're not enough? Always. Yeah. Has that been something that's consistent for you for your whole life? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. I think I've I've easily compared myself to other people. I've never been super confident in myself. Um, I, I'm super confident in my skills and my ability to do certain things, but, um, but yeah, I often questioned who I am and, um, just wasn't always happy. Didn't always feel like I, um, was beautiful enough or smart enough or all these things that, you know, we can do to ourselves. Yeah. I mean, well, most people do that, do this to themselves and Mm -hmm. I do too. And I think that you can't be too big of a fan of yourself to really get good work done. Mm-hmm. On a certain level, you, you need to have uh, a sober look at yourself mm-hmm. and you want to, you need to want to constantly grow to really achieve. Yeah. But I think that there's this balance and I, the only reason I bring it up is because I deal with this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I've become a better friend of myself over the years, largely due to, um, experience, mentorship, psychedelics, like learning that we're all on this silly trip together and it's all going to be over very soon. So why not enjoy it? Right. And a lot of those thoughts of not feeling like I'm enough and feeling like I am going to blow it and I just don't, I don't have what it takes. It's just, you know, you're you're watering a plant that you don't want to grow. Sure, you're feeding the wrong wolf. Feel, feeding the wrong wolf, yeah. exactly. And uh, you, from the outside, so clearly have achieved so much. And you have a badass book here, and you've sailed across the seas. And it's, um, you know, it's almost funny to like hear that from someone else because I see that a bit in in myself and in other people, and like people mm-hmm. have just. Fucking like we're we're doing our best, right? At the end of the day, we're waking up and we got twenty four hours before the next day, and we're gonna s- spend our time, hopefully, doing stuff that is fun and stuff that leaves the campsite a little bit better than we found it before yeah. we're gone. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So, so indulging too much in those thoughts. And right now, I'm saying this, giving myself advice. I hope you, I hope you recognize I this because no, I, no. I see, I see. Uh, yeah, it's, I see it. It's just, it's so consistent. You know, with mm-hmm. people who, uh, who I sit down with on this podcast, who have really achieved a lot. You know, for me, like a big, <laughs> like a helpful. Uh, thought to have because i i had this idea i journal quite a bit okay and i was journaling about my insecurities and how like i you you're just like you're not good enough and smart enough and all that the monkey mind shit Mm -hmm. and i remember going back in a journal like two years and it was almost the exact same journal as i was writing right then and i was like yeah i've heard this shit before yeah this is an old book it's so true. And that was something so frustrating as I first started out on this like kind of more internal spiritual side of my journey is that like you think you're oh, you think you got over this thing and it's in your past. But all of a sudden it's right here in front of you again and you're facing the same stupid thing that you thought you were over. Um, and I had to come to terms with that, that, you know, this was like a lifelong process that you're not going to just like 
read this wisdom and then be able to like ingest it and use it and like erase that whole emotional body that has all these memories and things that, you know, trigger parts of yourself that you aren't your favorite, you know? Like I've been taking improv recently. Cool. Yeah. Fun. Super fun. And you get to, and I get to put on characters during improv. Like today I'm the banker and you are yes. walking into the bank and I will give you 20 notes. And all right. And then here we go. And we are at the Academy Awards together Oh and my the gosh. best movie is Liz Clark. Like, I, I yeah. get, you get to put on these different characters. And my point in saying this is that mm. you can kind of just fake it and choose to be confident. Mm-hmm. We were talking about like speeches yeah. earlier, and like if there is a a point that I do feel confident, it's because I choose to put on that character in okay. that moment. Mm-hmm. It kind of works. Yeah. You know, yeah, and it's, it's, it's not a, it's I, not a foolproof plan, but. And I can do it too. I, I, I mean, I do it too on a daily basis and, um, you know, you always want to put like that confident, better side of you that you wish you were more out when you're around people, you know, that you're getting to know. And, um, so yeah. Yeah. So you, um, at this point are touring the book around like was was there a point when you decided that you were going to start writing it like what was the like what was the pr- the problem that you wanted to solve or the question that you really wanted to answer that inspired you to write a a big ass book <laughs> um well after um you know after trying to figure out the answers to these greater questions and to dive into my own kind of like search for who I really was and how to um, like connect with something beyond myself. Like I think that's what this trip really um, inspired in me was like I was really like a black and white scientific thinking person before I went out on this trip. And, um, I think just being in so many situations where I had to like, like it was up to the gods, you know, like I didn't know what was coming for me and I just had to have faith that it was going to work out. And, um, there was so many really cool things that happened along the way that just like showed me that there was more to it than what I thought. And there was, I had this connection to something really big and really real. And, um, all of it, although I didn't understand it and I don't try to pretend to now, um, like that relationship with the unknown kind of became the most exciting and like, um, curious part of my journey. So, um, I think after a lot of years of thinking about this stuff and, and having this journey of trying to, you know, figure out my place in the world and what this journey was really all about and trying to get closer and figure out what, what were these forces in the universe, like that were making all of this random stuff into like what actually happened, you know? So, um, I think 
I was not only at the point when Patagonia approached me about writing the book, I was not only like kind of ready to, to stop in a place. I was just ready to slow down. Um, but I was also kind of just at a point where I'd, I'd had this big adventure and I couldn't, I felt like, okay, if I don't like write this all down now, I can't, I'm not, I can't go out on the next adventure. It's too much, you know? So, um, so I felt like it was the right time to just kind of sit down and like distill it all and, and get it all down. Yeah. What a, um, what a kind of deeply reflective experience it is to write that shit down because how often, how often is it that we get addicted to, pushing the envelope and going on to the next adventure and the next trip and the next passage. Yeah. Because it's fun. It's fun and it's your pattern and and it hits your adrenaline. Yep. Um, and writing's hard. It's you're tinkering with words endlessly and you're, yeah, you're figuring out, especially when you're writing a memoir, you're like, you're just, you're going back in all these memories and figuring out how to, like what really happened first of all um and from what perspective do i tell this and so yeah it was it was such it was like it was like therapy going through all those all those things and like i wrote so much that didn't go into the book um but writing it was even just writing it down like you said before um, was just like a really cool process in itself to kind of like go back and and really distill those things that happened so long ago that really shaped you you know what do you think um we should go to go to the uh film festival semi semi soon but um like what do you think you're really good at you're talking about confidence and and that kind of stuff like what do you think that liz clark is uniquely skilled and adept at I think I'm really good at connecting to people and um, making them feel really comfortable. And I'm kind of like an empath. I feel what people feel. And I I really want everyone to be happy and to feel inspired. And so I think that's one of my strengths is just sitting, just random strangers or wherever I am. Like um, I like to make people feel cared about and it's from a very genuine um, point of, it's a, it's a very genuine feeling. Like I really love everybody and want everyone to be happy. So, um, so yeah, I think that's a really big strength of mine. Um, I'm pretty good at tying knots. Fuck, I bet. (laughs) Um, and yeah, I can fix a lot of boat shit. I really can. Mm-hmm. Not that it's something I love to do, but I, I know how to do it. Yeah. Well, you mm-hmm. choose your struggle, right? Yeah. We, we talk way too much about passion and love. And I, I find that most of my day-to-day experience is moving through some sort of struggle. And I just mm-hmm. hope that I've picked the right the one right struggle that I can do for a long time. Yeah. That's a really good way to look at it. It's more realistic. Mm-hmm. I find. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we? So yeah, that was, that was awesome. So where can people, um, swell the book? It's out now. It's out on um, April 1st. April 1st. I have to wait a little bit. 
but okay and we can get you it can online order it now you can order it through patagonia you can um, go on my website soulvoyage.com there's a link to it there um, you can get it at any of your local favorite booksellers and um it's beautiful thank you so much yeah thanks for taking the time to sit down you gave a speech today you've had a a massive uh massive schedule so i I thank you for taking the time oh it's my pleasure i'm really excited to get to talk to you finally (laughs) yeah so great that's our show my friends i'm gonna play you out with a song by my big sister becca and this song is called the sailor's wife also, after you take off, be sure to head over to my website, kyle.surf slash book club to make your purchases through my Amazon portal. And that is also where you can become a donor of the podcast. My website is kyle.surf. Also, don't forget, Liz is doing a book tour. So you should go check out one of her events as she is touring around. Until next time, hope you enjoy this song called The Sailor's Wife by my big sister, Becca Davis.
She'd been looking over half 